0: So what I, what I like about this book is that you explore both spiritual experiences and quite harmful psychotic episodes and the overlap um, between those two experiences. And you talk partly, you draw, bring in your own personal experience um, from retreats that you've been on, all kinds of interesting retreats, like a, a, a retreat in darkness for several days, ayahuasca retreats. You also talk about people you've met yeah, on retreats, on the retreat circuit. Um, but then what's, I think, unusual as well for this kind of book on that spiritual aspects is you draw on often quite gritty experience yeah. from um, leading a crisis intervention service uh, at, at, at uh, the Royal London Hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, so you've, you've clearly had a very interesting kind of career and journey in that you've been working at the coalface of the NHS in psychiatric services, but you've also been on your own journey um, going to retreats, learning transpersonal psychology. Did you, did you start off as a traditional psychiatrist and then get more into things like the transpersonal or spiritual? How did it happen?
1: There, there's so much in that question. Yeah. and like life is complex and complicated mm. and sometimes you don't know where you're heading until you've kind of got there and the ways in which you get to the place where maybe you were destined to get to all the time the ways in which you get there are quite sort of complicated really mm. so trying to answer your question a bit um, um, i, I was not interested in medical school when I was a medical student. I was very much aware that there was a big wide world out there Mm -hmm. that I wanted to explore um, and that I was going to spend the rest of my working life probably working hard and in a hospital. So I made most of my medical student experience for six years, a lot of travel, a lot of of psychedelic drugs, uh, which really sort of opened up the psyche for me and showed me that things were complicated and interesting. And that led me to look at Jung and explore a bit of mystic writings, sort although of I didn't really understand them. Um, Travelling in India for three months um, as a student was a real, real eye opener, and I, I wrote a bit about that in my book. Um, but then, when you qualify as a doctor, um, everything kind of shuts down because, in those days in particular, you, you just work so hard, you know, 120 hours a mm. week, and you're in this very rigid system. and. Mm. It's, it's about survival and thinking it has to stop. Um, and then after I did that, so I went travelling for another year and learned some more and carried on my journey a bit. And then I felt ready, really ready to um, start my career and, 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 and do psychiatry, which was you know, which was the only branch of medicine that really interested me. And then a lot of my psychiatric training was was fairly conventional. You know, I, I love psychiatry, I love the, the patients... Um, uh, you know, I found it so interesting that the training we had was, was fairly conventional, so you know, a lot of people we see have got serious mental illness, so the medical model works for a lot of them. Um, I worked in a place that had a very good psychotherapy department, so, so it felt to me that that was the way of getting under the skin of what was going on, and psychoanalysis was the answer, so I got very interested in psychoanalysis and trained in, in, in group analysis. Um, and then in my mid-30s, when I got my consultant job, I f- found myself in this really, as you say, really gritty place. We're all London hospital, middle of the East End. Um, mm. ve- very unresourced, understaffed. I was in charge of... I'll uh, pick up on the thing, your foot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Yeah. Um, so it, it, was, it was a tough, tough job. Mm. Really tough job. Um, a lot of violence, a lot of... Mm. Uh, pretty unpleasant things going on and i was what's called the lies on psychiatrists working for the trauma service which um, um had the only helicopter ambulance service in london so they would bring to rural london all the people who um seriously injured themselves through jumping from home <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> Sorry, it's, it, it'll pick up on the thing, so oh, you'll okay. just hear that you'll hear your foot going like that. Okay, <laughs> I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, So it had the only helicopter. Yes, yeah. had had the
1: only helicopter ambulance in, in 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 London. So we we would get all the 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 suicides that didn't quite didn't quite make it. The people who really went to kill themselves, mm. jumping off high places, yeah. which it's, you called they they. There were phrases for them, there were jumpers. The jumpers, stabbers, and jumpers, hangers, and stabbers. Um, mm. m- most of them were jumpers, so a lot of people jumping mm. from high places. Ah, cranky. Um, and surviving? The, the, so the ones that we, we saw obviously, mm-hmm. obviously survived. And um, one of the things that interested me about some of these patients was that um, it was very difficult to unpack afterwards what had happened to them. So probably for majority of people who you know, jumped from a high place and I interviewed afterwards, you could understand what had happened. Maybe it was a relapse of a you know, psychiatric disorder like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. Sometimes it was in response to a life event. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, and I think it was about 20% of cases, um, there had not been much of a trigger and it was as though um, they had been overcome by... Uh, an intense mood state that was extremely difficult for them to describe afterwards, but had been completely overwhelming and mm. had led them to do what they did. Um, and one of the things that I found really interesting about this was that it was very difficult for me to um, to explore with them about what this mood state was. was so, and I felt I was quite good at that, because that's what I did with the rest of my patients. And you know, that's how the team worked, we worked yeah. in that kind of psychotherapeutic way. There was something about these patients that um, um, the experience had so seared them that they weren't really able to go go yeah. back to it. Um, um, and so so I so I th- so the what the theory that I kind of explore in my book, what mm-hmm. I what I suggest is that this is a, a primitive form of of, of numinous experience, um, um, and. Um, it has its links in life events but the life events are really relatively minor Uh, but for some reason uh, these people are overcome by a certain mood state which is very dark and very challenging Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and some people would describe it as 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 being being like a bad trip Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the opening story in my book Mm -hmm. and then I contrast it um, with someone who had a very different sort of numinous experience when he was out for a walk on a summer's day and went into this this blissful state mm. which culminated in a sense of oneness and the feeling that the universe was intelligent and made, and, yeah. and, and made of love. Mm. Um, and the person who's written most about these states is a German theologian called Ru- Rudolf Otto um, and he, he's collected a number of stories of these states and he understands it in terms of the, the The dark states as being a primitive expression um, that needs to be kind of held and contained um, and really made safe so that the Newman mm-hmm. can unfold so you can you, you can come out of the, the, the bad trip experience mm-hmm. into the fullness of the, 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 the more classical mm. numinous experience
0: and so the numinous is for him for Rudolf Otto is kind of the divine. Yes. It's the you sometimes use the phrase in your book the self with a capital S. Yes. So that kind of uh, Atman or, or yes. God or the kind of the all that yeah. kind of thing. So we that in, an encounter with that in other words can be can be dangerous to the ego to the person because it's just that it, there's a kind of both a creative and a destructive aspect to it.
1: Yes, it it takes us out of our comfort zone. Yeah, um, and the, 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 there are many ways in which it can manifest. Yeah, so many ways in which it can manifest. Mm. Sometimes it can manifest in a, in a problematic way that, for various reasons, we, you know, we, we 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 can't we can't cope with. We can't contain. Yeah. Um,
0: yes. Yeah. Um, and you also use the phrase. Um, I mean, we 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 an event recently on, uh, mm. and it was partly on spiritual emergencies uh, and we had you spoke and, and three of my friends as well and we had some discussion in that event about the right phrase for this kind Whoa. of thing which is like I suppose spiritual emergency is a term developed by Stanislav Groff and others for a spiritual experience which is quite ego shaking and disturbing and has some kind of elements of psychosis like features like say mania or uh Ooh. mood swings sleeplessness and so on um but can be integrated and 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 become something really helpful and healing and and you and, and and another of our speakers um questioned that kind of terminology but you prefer the term um archetypal crisis um and you you speak about um these archetypal encounters in, in some of the, in, in some of the bits of your book. So, um, what would, what's that? What's an archetypal crisis?
1: So, I think an archetypal crisis is when you essentially have a numinous experience to a greater or lesser extent, mm. and it it's it, it uh, causes problems in your personality and and, and ego structures, um, and that's often got something to do with. Um, a confrontation with your conditioning.
0: Um, right, so a kind of breakdown in your habitual
1: ego yes. structures. So I, I love the story of Plato's cave. and yeah. you know, I've kind of written a chapter about it in my book and it's mm. a theme that runs through it. And I find it very difficult to do any kind of talk without referring to Plato's cave. Right. And it just makes a huge amount of sense for me that there's something about consensus reality that people turn away from either voluntarily or involuntarily. Um, and you, and the first step, the first challenge is the layer of conditioning that you come across, which Plato's, um, s- story is represented by the effigies, mm. the effigies. And we have an encounter with that and it's really confusing and it shakes mm. us up and it puts us in touch with our traumas. And some of our traumas are quite obvious. We may know something about them. Some of them are completely hidden from us and we know nothing about them. Mm. You know, our hidden traumas, our, our layers of conditioning, the things that that make up our ego structures, mm. and what tends to happen in archetypal crises is that, well, I think what invariably happens is that these these ego structures are, are challenged. Sometimes that is kind of okay. Sometimes you've done some work, um, your ego structures may work fairly well, and not a huge amount of adjustment mm. need, needs to be made. And sometimes that's not the case at all. Mm. Um, you know, and, and sometimes people seek to do this work, whether through psychotherapy or holotropic breathwork or ayahuasca retreats. And in seeking to do this work, you, you have a mindset of inquiry and exploration. So in that context, the term spiritual emergency, spiritual emergence, is, is probably appropriate because mm. generally you're looking for psychospiritual growth. But of the patients I sort of rural London, it was almost unheard of for people to have that mindset. So generally people just want to want things to get back to normal, all the issues are out there rather than in mm. in here.
0: So they'd suddenly been going along their ordinary life and they'd suddenly been picked up and shaken around like a ragdoll by their subconscious
1: Yes. And 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 often it's triggered by substances or stress or mm. um uh, I think, I, I think our, our genetic inheritance has probably got some something to do with this. I think mm. some of us are more likely to have these high intensity archetypal experiences. Mm. And um,
0: yes. so you got a, a, an interesting phrase, um, HAPS, high archetypal penetrance. Yes. Which is a kind of state you go in, and I think listeners will recognise this, where something shifts in your consciousness and you feel slightly in that realm of the numinous yes like uh you know say you you visit some holy temple and you suddenly check that you're in that slight kind of dream state uh a reverie a kind of you know you feel a sense of significance and uh your consciousness shifts you maybe get very absorbed in that moment and that can happen in lots of kind of different ways can't it yeah
1: so yeah so so that that's so i i would say that's a high archetype of penetrant state when Mm. The, the, the numinous just shines through a little bit more strongly, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think uh, many of us are inherently, um, you know, we're inherently numinosity seeking, and we try mm-hmm. to seek out these experiences, whether going to festivals or the arts or mm. taking drugs or seeking ecstatic experiences, yeah, or, yeah. and some some people are very afraid of archetypal experiences and you know this this sort of intensity and try try to damp everything down and. You know, maybe some people really build defences that um, that I, I think sometimes are impoverishing because they're afraid of the, these the, the intensity sure. of these experiences.
0: Yeah. And to what extent does this connect to Carl Jung's idea of um, archetypes in the subconscious or uh, or the unconscious, uh, and and uh, these kinds of. Uh, mythical
1: structures, which can, which can be down there, which we, uh, it, it,
0: mm. does that really, is, is that partly what you're thinking about when you use
1: these these terms? Yeah, yeah, So 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 Jung developed his ideas about archetypes as 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 the main currents of meaning, mm-hmm. and he initially assumed that it was just part of our genetic and evolutionary inheritance, yeah. and and um, and then after discovering synchronicity. He thought it was more complicated than that, mm. and he thought that the collective unconscious, rather than just to do with brain structures and being biologically based, that there was there was a transpersonal component, so something inherent in, you know, in the atmosphere and yeah. in, in the cosmos. So mm. he moved from a, a, a personal position, if just, you like,
0: just these are psychological states. Yes, yeah. and he
1: moved from that to a more transpersonal position. Mm. Yeah, you know, that that, uh, and and. Um, I think it inevitably follows from a transpersonal position that you think the the cosmos is intelligent. That there's intelligent cosmos. So there's a real kind of divide really between people who think that consciousness is limited to 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 brain function and brain structures and the synapses and the you know the the, 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 the neurochemical um, systems on one hand, and people of a transpersonal persuasion who would think that yes, the brain is extraordinarily complex and there are as many neurons as there are stars, but the consciousness is not just confined to the brain, there's no of consciousness which lies mm-hmm. outside the brain. So, it's, And suddenly Jung came to that conclusion. Yeah.
0: Um, and so what what strikes me, and I think this is one of the issues about this, this topic, one of the challenges about it, is on the one hand there's this idea that you're... Um, going upwards i mean for plato his forms were kind of eternal verities beyond the emotional and beyond the kind of the 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 transient and almost beyond the human which reason could get to whilst jung's archetypes were more down there in the you know messy gooey subconscious so there's both the kind of reaching upwards and there's this pulling downwards. Yes. Um, yeah. And is that? I suppose that's one of the things about these experiences, aren't they? They're both a search for transcendence into the light, but they can be incredibly messy as well.
1: Yes. I, I don't think you can separate our archetypal experience from our bio psycho development, if you like. Yeah. So it's kind of inevitable that, you know, if you believe, if you believe in the, the, the concept of of, of archetypes and that there is some uh, there are aspects of consciousness that lie beyond the brain. Yeah. Then um, our experience of archetypes is inextricably linked to you know our psychological structures, our psychodynamics, our, our relationships, mm. our animal bodies, everything everything that goes everything that goes with
0: that. I feel this is a, a flaw in Plato that he doesn't yeah. talk about the the messiness of that mystical journey. It's too clean and tidy and
1: mathematical. It, it's a short story, isn't it? And I think Plato was a pretty austere guy. I don't know yeah. much about his private life. I, yeah. I don't know if you know, know more, but, I mean, he, you know, he lost his father. He lost Socrates. Yeah. You know, th- things were quite tough in those days. Mm. I suppose what he does say is that the duty of a, of a true philosopher, someone who's experienced the light outside the cave, is, is, is to come back and work with the cave dwellers with, with, yeah. with, with compassion.
0: But in the Christian mystics like Saint Teresa, there is more of a sense of as you go on this journey you're gonna meet more and more beasts within yeah. you. Yeah. You know, that's part of it.
1: Sure, so so his his story, his story is, is, is skimpy. Uh is skimpy, <laughs> it, it, on but detail, he was covering right? a lot of stuff, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, he was, yes. I mean I, I, I think every account kind of a psychospiritual journey um involves a confrontation with your demons. You yeah. know, your shadow you know mm. in order to become more whole, you have to explore, tolerate, and welcome the mm. the parts of your um the, the parts of yourself that have been hived off into the darker parts mm. of your unconscious right right and so it's inevitable that you you know you have to uncover these, and it's difficult because some some of these traumas are so you know so so deeply hidden um and you know, you, you you will know yourself because I've read your chapter on Vipassana, mm. and uh, that any any intense retreat like that, um, it, it's it's probably inevitable that you're going to have some some really difficult moments. And yeah. Who, who knows what form that it will take? But it's going to involve a bit of misery. Yeah. And fear and anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a matter of kind of tolerating that and working on it mm. and doing the integration. Um. So, so I, I'm very clear myself that you can strive for spiritual experience and numinous experience, and ecstatic experience, but unless you, unless you work on yourself and your own personality structures, and you know remain rooted on planet Earth, mm. you you know your your progress is going to be really limited. And mm. the, the danger is it will become a narcissistic kind yeah. of uh, narcissistic journey.
0: So there's a, there's a good uh, chapter in the book where you talk about um, the Icarus myth and you talk about people you came across, I don't know if it, I think it was in your clinical work, mm. where, uh, maybe one or two characters who get kind of obsessed with the transcendent um, and uh, there's almost a kind of siren call to it and the, the more they're, they become a kind of space cadet basically, yeah. uh, they become obsessed with the spiritual and, and just can't really handle the mundane and the worldly. Um, and so, I mean, that's that's clearly a risk on the spiritual journey. But um, in terms of the, the looking at these myths like the Icarus myth, um, do you, are these just? Do you think? I mean, these m- mythical archetypes actually exist out there in the world, or they're just kind of p- patterns that that human souls can sometimes get stuck in. You, do you see what I mean? Like, um, it's just an idea about whether these... It's partly an idea, a question about Jungian psychology. Oh. Do these archetypes exist independently and kind of, you know, call to us? Or, or, um, or is these just kind of, you know, patterns that the, 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 the soul can get stuck in, as it were? Like the Icarus myth.
1: Well, it 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 depends on your perspective. I mean, the transpersonal perspective is is, is archetypes a big currents of meaning, that that, that lie outside us, but structure every aspect of the universe, including ourselves. They're both outside us and 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 within us at the same time.
0: So, what like and the, 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 the archetype of? I mean, like a Jungian archetype. What like the wise old man? Or
1: yeah. So, so that that's a kind of stereotypic archetype. So. Yeah. You'd say that's an archetypal image. So we're mm. trying to sort of paint a, a picture of an archetype that makes some sense to us because archetypes themselves are, are beyond description. Mm. Um, you know, you can experience deep, you know, so, so archetype itself is translated for us by our, our sensory apparatus, etc. Um, so the archetype of the wise old man is is quite a, or the trickster, mm-hmm. or the, 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 the mother god.
0: These are kind of energy forms, as it were, yeah, yes, energy. yes, yeah. And then
1: you can take a little bit deeper by thinking of the complexity of some of the, the gods and goddesses, like yeah. you know Shiva, Kali, uh, mm-hmm. and some, some of these forms are, are, are really quite complex. Um, and you know some, some psychonauts who've gone very deep into the psyche would, would would see it differently. I went to a talk by Christopher Bech. The other night, who's written an extraordinary book detailing um, journeys on very high dose LSD over twenty years, and he he sees archetypes as as just like great big galaxies of of meaning, um, and he he would certainly see them as very independent from the psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and we engage with them, and they kind of engage with us. Right, um, and
0: so you can play with them, or you can be possessed by them. Yes, in a yes, dangerous way. Yes, yeah.
1: It, it's 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 very difficult thinking, writing, talking about archetypes because mm. they, they they are so different. Yeah, um, I think I get what you're yeah. talking
0: about. Yeah, one of the things that fascinated me, which I was completely new to in your book, was um, the anorexia culture and and the personification of anorexia. Uh, uh, as uh, almost a kind of goddess of some kind Um, could you just say a bit about that?
1: Um, So in my book I was really trying to understand anorexia from an archetypal perspective Mm. Um, and I likened it that there's something very life denying about anorexia there's something that is is very drawn to death Um, so I, I use the story of, of Persephone who's the beautiful spring-like daughter mm. um, who's drawn into the underworld uh, and something about the underworld that's very, very seductive and Persephone can't escape. Um, the internal world of girls with anorexia is, is really difficult to understand and get into
0: but on on kind of forums, do they sometimes refer to anorexia as Anna or something like that?
1: Yeah, um, yes. Um, so th- there's a certain sort of um, Anna cult on yeah. some in- some internet forums, which, mm. um, which which encourages certain behaviours and mm. mindsets and ways of seeing the world. And it really reminds me of that Jung quote: "The gods have become diseases." Right. Or making the disease a
0: god.
1: Yes, yes, mm. yes. There's something very captivating and possessive about anorexia. Mm. And in psychiatry, we've tended to understand that as turning off a body clock and going back through adolescence so you're no longer challenged by you know, hormones and growing up and everything that goes with that. And I, I'm sure that's right, there's an element of that, but there's, there's something else going on as well. Yeah. Uh, I think an archetypal perspective. Would be helpful, and I, I really hesitate to say this, but um, you know, the advent of, of, of MDMA therapy for people with post traumatic stress disorder and other, other conditions, and it really looks as though MDMA assisted psychotherapy is going to be a treatment that we can use for some conditions soon. Mm-hmm. And you, you do wonder if it might be helpful for some people with, anore- with, with anorexia, no. MDMA assisted psychotherapy. Um, because to soften the edges. Yes, because there seems to be something um, about the, the the heart opening, the opening to love and compassion, compassion for yourself. Mm. Um, really, that might mm. be really helpful for, for these people because they are so they are so hard on themselves. They are so punitive. Do you think
0: they know that they are killing themselves, or is there is there, is there a kind of denial in there? M-
1: um y- yes to both I, I think they do know that killing themselves but, but there's also a, a, a lot of denial mm. um and it's a bit like any addiction you know you, you can yeah. know that you're you're slowly killing yourself but the addiction is you know it's it's very hard to let go yeah yeah so i suppose
0: a key question f- for me about the spiritual journey um and about Jungian psychology is this idea of to what extent should we trust the capital S self Mm. and surrender to it. And I think there's, there's a, there's a bit in your book where you talk about trusting the wisdom in the subconscious, that there's, there's something in the subconscious, which is a kind of, you know, like in, in Jungian psychology, it's an, it's an auto healing system seeking to kind of correct Mm. itself sometimes. Which I, I, I accept that idea. And, and that's part of the idea of, of psychedelics, trusting the journey, surrendering to the subconscious. And it, and it knows there's a kind of intelligence within our subconscious, which can be more intelligent and insightful mm. than our conscious, rational yes. mind. So I accept that idea. Um, on the other hand, y- your book has these stories of people who kind of have an opening to the, to the self or the numinous. And it destroys them. Yes. Um, they jump off buildings. They uh, starve themselves to death. And and I've I personally have also had like you know awakenings which have which have felt close <laughs> calls. Yeah. And and when, when you see kind of someone who has a you know I mean so it's um, it can be so rough you know that that kind of <laughs> spiritual journey. And it can, it can be fatal. So do, do we trust the self? Does the self, with a capital S, or the subconscious, have our best interests at heart? Because obviously Jungian psychology and Fre- Freudian psychology would say, oh, it's a jungle down there, um, whilst Jung, I think rightly, has this sense of a wisdom and, a, and an optimism mm-hmm. and a teleology to the, to the unconscious. So what, uh, I mean, you probably have the same thought. I mean, what where where do you where do you come to on this? I'll tell you very briefly what I think about it. Yes. As I, as I wrote in that piece on spiritual emergencies, it makes me hope that there are, we have multiple lives, yes. so that you know to the subconscious, yeah, it might rough you up for this life, but it's all part of it. it uh, the growth of the acorn happens over multiple lives. Yes. That's the kind of. Teleology, I look to for kind of hope when I see people who have started to grow and it just it just hasn't worked and they're stuck and I don't think they're going to get better in this life. What do you think? How do you make sense of it?
1: I think life is really hard and complex, and um, I think if, you, if you're going to do this work uh, or if you find yourself in archetypal crisis, you know whether you come to this work voluntarily or involuntarily, the 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 mantra is always set setting and, and, and integration, and we we all kind of know that, but it's difficult to really put into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the the mindset needs to be one of exploration, work. This is a serious endeavor. You know you're you're on a you're on a journey, mm-hmm. and you're really going to honour that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the the setting varies according to the context but it needs to be safe and productive and helpful towards integration and then integration again you know it's very easy to pay lip service to integration but integration is hard work our whole life is an integration Mm. um you know if if you have a a, a, an an expanded state of consciousness holotropic breath work which is my, my, my my own area um there are different layers of integration you integrate after the session you integrate the day afterwards and then you know you integrate for the next six months and in many ways you're integrating these experiences for the rest of your life and if you get stuck get some therapy we'll work on some of the the structures that are blocking you mm. um you know if if you're stuck that's a challenge i think we all get stuck at various stages in life and mm. and and often you know the those start processes offer some really useful clues as to what it is we really need to work on. It yeah. but just to answer your question about trusting the self, um, I think in altered states of consciousness, I, I think I think you have to trust the self. Mm. I, I mean for, 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 for me that's the, the cardinal assumption that you, you trust this, this this uh this inner healing and inner healing intelligence. Mm. Uh, that doesn't mean that you know, you, you need to be careful where you put to your trust. Yeah. Um,
0: yes. I mean, I suppose I'm also talking about, um, God. Yeah. I'm, I'm using the self as a word yeah. for God. Yeah. I'm saying, do you trust God? Um, why do sometimes people feel a call to God and it kills them? Yeah. Um, what's, what's that say about God? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm asking. Um, are we just kidding ourselves that there's a you know, that these are just these are just openings to the, the subconscious and so on. Is is it does it suggest that the nature of divine reality doesn't really care about individuals? So these are some of the things I kind of you know, <coughs> these are some of the big questions I'm I'm wondering about. I don't know if really Jung wrote about it but he didn't really do kind of he was more interested in psychology than theology. But they, yeah. they overlap, right, don't they? Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't know the answer to these questions either. I think it's, it's all part of a great mystery. Yeah. Uh, I think we all, you know, those of us who are interested in these questions, we, we, we need to work it out for ourselves. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, li- life is full of gristle. And what I think, and what, what's certainly what Groff would say, is that this gristle is important for our, our growth some of a gristle is really hard to digest. And mm. you, know, you just have to look at history, you have to look at the tragedies that people have. Um, and it is, it's very, it's, you know, these things are very difficult to integrate, really difficult to integrate. Mm. Um, you know, you look at the world around us and what it is that we need to bring to our collective consciousness at the moment. What is it we're not seeing? Mm. What is it we need to integrate? You could say that people like Trump, uh, who is an expression of our collective unconscious? Um, our, our collective unconscious put in there in some way. What What can we learn from that? What mm. what, what aspects of our collective shadow are becoming available for processing? Yeah, yeah. Um, you could say this is all part of the unfolding teleology. Yeah, uh, from that perspective. Um, yeah, and uh,
0: there's also a question about the messages we can receive from our subconscious. Mm. Um, the message we, we might get on psychedelic experiences or in these high archetypal penetrant states um, and how we discriminate them. Like mm. if we get a message, starve yourself. I mean, at the extreme, jump off a building. Or let's say we get a message, right, give away all your possessions, c- come and join the temple. Is a message you got when you were in India as a young man. You know, abandon the medical career. And how we kind of uh, discriminate about them. Um, and one point I thought you made uh, very well, which i I, I agree with and have come to the same conclusion, is that this the subconscious speaks in metaphors, mm. but you can miss you can interpret those metaphors yes. literally and and fundamentally
1: Yeah. so that 's why it 's a good idea to have some help with mm. integration now holotropic breath work- workshops um, The the last integration circle is. The day after the breathwork of the previous day, so some integration has you know and all that time is basically doing integration exercises and then you come to the final the, the, the final group and um, and pretty much every, everyone is back on planet Earth and is seeing things very symbolically um, and we give everyone a really strong message that you shouldn't make any decisions until, you know, you've, you've worked things out a bit. Mm. I mean, if, you know, if you've realised in your, in your session that you need to, there's some behavioural changes you need to make, like drink less or, you know, stop doing a certain behaviour which seems to be destructive, then it's really important to do that straight away while you still have the impetus. Um, mm. um, but other big life decisions like giving away your possessions, giving up your job, divorcing the wife... Mm. Um, wh- whatever it may be, um, this this may be um, this may be incredibly powerful symbolically, um, but it's so important just to take it on a symbolic level and think mm. about it and and um, not not be hasty. Mm.
0: And so you you've been to quite a few retreats as well yourself. Mm. Um, is that something that started? while ago was that something quite recent that you started going to retreats and exploring kind of first-hand, looking for these higher high archetypal states well I know you you did it actually when you were when you were younger you said when you were a trainee but the kind did you return to it then uh in the last few
1: years um so um in my late 30s I I finished my analytic training and I was mm. a consultant psychiatrist and I'd kind of soaked up everything that the conventional model had to offer and then my sister died of uh, of, of, of cancer after quite a long struggle and she had clearly gone through some kind of transformational process mm. in her, her journey through terminal illness and that kind of reminded me of something it really reminded me that there was something that I'd, I'd been missing which was of a spiritual nature uh, that she had so clearly found mm. and you know at first I thought this is just a defense against you know the tragedy of the death and I realized it was much more than that so um, so I, I I started looking for something to fill that spiritual vacuum and it, it was really quite difficult I didn't really know what to do you know mm. what do you do you go to meetings or talks and scientific and medical network was was it was really helpful and I started going on some, some retreats. And uh, the question is, what's a good retreat? What is kosher and helpful? What is mad and wacky? How did you find that out? I mean, because I get the same question. People
0: say, like, how do I know what retreat to go on? Yeah. How, how, how did you figure
1: that out? So I was going to meetings at this point with the Royal College of Psychiatrists, Psychiatry and Spirituality Group. Mm-hmm. And I started hearing about some group, some people and uh, activities that other people had recommended. Um, I, I knew that I didn't really want to do med- meditation because I'd tried it before, and for some reason I just didn't have the patience with it. And I had young children, and you know, I couldn't mm. go away in a long meditation retreat. Now, I, I came back to Groff, who I'd heard of before, but i dismissed because of his association with psychedelics. And in my ignorance then, because you know we hadn't been taught about this, in, you know, as training psychiatrists, I thought anything to do with LSD was... Um, you know, was was outdated, dangerous, probably mad, and no interest to me. Mm. And then when I found out a little bit more about his work, it seemed mm. to me that he had um, he, he developed um, Jung's work, taken it further, mm. and had developed a technique called holotropic breathwork, yeah. where you can kind of safely and reliably access the depths of the unconscious. Um, so so I, I went I went on yeah you know, went on a retreat with Groff and. Um, there are some very impressive things about Groff I mean he's, he's a very impressive human being and he, he's, he he clearly has impeccable integrity which I think is the first thing that you look for in you know of these mm. people um, so I think when you, you see somebody I, I think you can mm. fairly rapidly for, form a judgement and, mm. um, and then I got, I got involved in holotropic breath work and I, I found it extraordinarily powerful and you,
0: provide, you do workshops in it yourself?
1: Yeah, so, so I, 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 trained, I trained in it. I finished my training about, mm. about 10 years ago. Also. Yeah. So, so, so what I like about it is I think it's gentler than psychedelics. Mm. Um, and I think paradoxically, because it's less powerful, I think you can often get, get, get more from the session than you do from psychedelics. Psychedelics so often take people too far, too fast before they're ready. Mm. And the experience they have is often very difficult to integrate even even if they are prepared to to work on integrating it, which often they 're not. Have you come across um, people who have had got into trouble after psychedelic
0: retreats um, uh, ayahuasca retreats and so forth
1: y- yes yeah, so, so i, I you know, I think there's a real problem with ayahuasca retreats in mm. that um uh, I think often the setting is 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 not. Um, is not as good as it should be. Uh, I think um, um, in integration is often uh, lacking or poor, and I think some very vulnerable people find themselves going to our Oscar retreats with unrealistic expectations, what they might achieve, and very little idea of the the power and depth of experience, and what it's going to be like during and afterwards. Mm. Um, and in general.
0: transformative retreats are often quite bad at follow-up and integration aren't they yes they are the it doesn't do any yes landmark not very good at all um so this is this is uh, something yes
1: that, isn't it? yeah I, I i completely agree with you um and and, and it's the same with holotropic in, in holot, what i think holotropic breathwork does very well is is the integration during the, the retreat so I think it provides a model for how it should be be done, so people are nicely kind of wrapped up and safe by the time mm. you know they 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 leave. Um, but I think so often to get the best out of it, it needs to be combined with an on, ongoing process. That ongoing process it might be you know meditation practice, it might might be it might be conventional psychotherapy. Mm. Um, but I, I think I think you need to do something. Um, I think many people come to you know, psychedelics or spiritual retreats, hoping they don't have to do the messy work of psychotherapy to sort out, you know, the, um, the, the parts of the psyche that um, um, that are to do with internal object relationships, sort of messy psychodynamics. Mm. And so often these aspects of, of, of our difficulties just need that, you know, long, careful, sometimes quite boring, quite painful work. And mm. you know, for so many people, you, you just can't bypass it.
0: Yeah, we want that, don't we? Shortcuts. Yes. And breakthroughs. I mean, is there any more key phrase in the kind of retreat and workshop scene than breakthroughs? Mm. Um, well, which, I think, which are possible, I guess.
1: I, I, I think you get breakthroughs all the time. You get breakthroughs in understanding, yeah. breakthroughs in perspective. You know, you see... Historic issues with with different understanding and perspective, but it's a matter of hardwiring that and really working it through and processing Mm. it. And you know, so often you have an experience, you have an insight, and then and then it's it's just gone. It evaporates, and and ultimately there's there's no growth. Um, Mm. And it's worse than that because I think sometimes you get the illusion of growth, you get the illusion of maturity. but but nothing substantial is 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 happening. Mm, we just get loved up for a few weeks. Yeah, wh- which is a lovely thing to happen. It's a mm. lovely thing to happen. But um, so th- there's a wonderful quote by the Italian uh, psychiatrist um, Roberto Saggioli, And I won't be able to remember the exact quote. But what he says is that the influx of energy, you know, in these sort of spiritual openings... Um, um, brings in a kind of high tide to the personality, so some of the faults of personality get get covered up, but then the tide recedes and you get the the same, the, old, the, junk. The same old junk. Yeah. But it's but it's even worse than before. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of amplified by yeah. um, You know the the ebbing of the tide, and often because people have the illusion that they're, you know, they know, had this experience and they're kind of wise, they had this insight and mm.
0: um, yeah. <laughs> What's been most helpful for you do you think in the, uh, you know in the last few years or you know the last couple of decades or say so? like what what has really helped you in terms of practice I suppose polytropic breath work would you say or or, or yeah so you know, relationships or relationships
1: uh, probably it's
0: hard to pick up one thing is that life happens altogether
1: it, it's it's for whole the whole damn journey really yeah I mean you know the the wife' the spaniel and yeah <laughs> the, the wife family and the spaniel <laughs> yeah. um I, I I suppose the sense that it's it's just an ongoing journey, and you, you mm. just you know you always need to keep working yourself always yeah. always always, and you know I've certainly had times where i've thought that i've I've got something or you know mm. uh, and 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 then always something happens that makes me realize um that there's more work to do something to do with barriers or lack of compassion or lack of humility mm-hmm. so you know I, I would say humility compassion are the things things to go for and in terms of yeah terms yeah, I, of, I, can, I, yeah. I,
0: I think you embody that well and it keeps you young you're how old are you did you say when we last met you're like 60 yeah yeah because yeah, i think you look younger than 60 you kept young with the uh,
1: with a humility or whatever
0: <laughs> well it's kind of it's a, a beginner's mind type thing right you're not kind of ossifying in certain attitudes
1: well I think ossification is, 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 mm. is, a, is a real issue and yeah. I think you just have to keep yourself you, I, th- I think beginner's mind is, is a wonderful thing to have mm. um, so I, I mean I suppose in answer to, in answer to your question the, 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 the big surprise for me is the move from the head to the heart so when I was younger, I thought it was about understanding things and theories and, mm. you know, getting the right solutions. And now I realise that that's fine, but that it's actually about the heart and, you know, the heart opening and working on the barriers to heart opening and manifesting, you know, love in whatever mm. way you can to, to, to the world around you. I was on a, uh, a Zen retreat last
0: year and you could go for, like, three minute interviews with the Zen master it's called Doksan or something mm. da, 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 mm, I, Okay. I think it's called it Doksan in <laughs> this place and I went to him and I said um, uh, how do I heal my heart? Oh. and he said I don't know it's too difficult to do <laughs> ring the bell and that was the end of it but, but uh, you that, know, that's, that's
1: the right question there, isn't it?
0: Well, it is. It's the question I've been asking and I, you know, all the way through my last book as well. And yeah, yeah. It's, what do you think? What do you think's the way to do that?
1: Well, I, I think you and I are both journeyers and there is, you know, I think there's some similarities in our books and mm. that we're, we're both, um, we're both human beings with our issues who've mm. set out on a bit of a journey mm. and, um, you know, we've we've sought out experiences that we think can can can, can offer us healing. And mm. you know, I've gone down a certain route, and I've come at it from a psychiatr from psychiatry. You from philosophy. Mm. You know, you've gone down a more kind of Christian sort of. Route. I mean, mm. no, not all your experiences, but some yeah. of them. Whereas I've gone down a more kind of um, non mainstream shamanic sort of route. But yeah. we're essentially seeking the, the same thing. It's yeah. to do with... Healing and knowledge, yeah, and we're both and becoming whole, and, and also, we're
0: both, I'm um, bookworms, bookworms.
1: You,
0: yeah, and, and 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 into you know, and in, I suppose an intellectual side. Too. Yes, yes. So um, yeah, so I have definitely come to the same thing that it's not just about. That actually, it's a kind of safe but lonely and slightly sterile place. If I'm just in my head. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, of course, like. But you've got. I mean, a family must must open your heart. That well, process. It's
1: it's it does, but it, it's it's difficult. It's difficult. Yeah. You know, you, you you you're trying to hold your job together. You're trying to do all the things that you have to do to support the family. You've yeah. got young children at home who are driving you nuts. You're not getting enough sleep. Yeah. Um, you know the sense of constriction, mm. etc. And yet, you know, you would lay down your life without hesitation for these. Yeah. For these little people, mm. um, so it, it's a it's a hard path, but it, yes, it does open your heart. It does mm. open your heart. I mean, you know, it's been difficult. I would say, I, I would say life is quite difficult, and I, I've personally found it difficult. And having a family was difficult. Despite everything, has been difficult. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, if there's someone listening to this. Um, and 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 they or one of their loved ones is in is in is in a real kind of spiritual or archetypal crisis. Um, uh, what, what's the brief advice you give them? Well, we've got a, we've got a, a web page, haven't we, with some hmm. resources on it. So there's philosophyoflife.org forward slash spiritual emergency, and we've got some videos on YouTube from our talks. Your book as well, this is called Walking Shadows, um, Archetype and Psyche in Crisis and Growth. There's a lot of resources there. Other things, kind of breathing, friends, you know, having a loving environment around them, patience.
1: It, it all comes back to set setting and integration. Um, so in terms of set, um, important to encourage the sense that this is a a journey it's difficult Mm. and there's some growth to be had from it but you've got to keep yourself you've got to keep yourself going you've got to keep yourself working on it keep yourself safe the setting is really about safety and support Mm. safety is paramount sometimes people aren't safe sometimes people need sometimes people do need to go to hospital sometimes medication is is helpful The trouble is, once you get into mainstream psychiatric services, um, there is not much of a mindset that is orientated towards growth. Often, the setting, you know, is 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 really dysfunctional. If you end up in psychiatric hospital, it's not Mm. really conducive to growth, and you don't get a lot of help with integration. Mm. So that that's why there's been a real kind of movement towards finding alternative sources of. You know, of, of of support and knowledge really about how to get through these these states uh, spiritual crisis network um, is is the the best known one mm. um, What do you think of them well um it, it it's really wonderful that um, a a coherent movement has sprung up to give voice to what psychiatry cannot see in some ways it's psychiatrys shadow um you know how how can people be helped through these experiences in a in a growthful way and mm-hmm. um, without suppressing the symptoms, but allowing the symptoms and the process to reach a certain expression, um, yeah. so so that you know w- which is orientated towards growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I suppose the only word of caution I would have is is against fundamentalism and in the way that psychiatry can rightly sometimes be criticised for being um, medically reductionist or biologically fundamentalist and certainly you get psychoanalytical fundamentalists and I think sometimes you can get spiritual fundamentalists who who you know who would say there's no such thing as mental illness and, and um, I, you know that's not a position I would take I think there are some Conditions where the, the medical model is is really quite helpful. Yeah. Um, mm. So as of everything, it's a matter of it's a matter of achieving a balance. And yeah. sometimes for people who, you know, for someone who's going through a state of intense distress, it's really difficult to know where to go to to um you know to get some help. Mm. Um, but you know your GP, the psychological services you can get through your GP. Don't, don't be afraid of psychiatric services is is, is what I would say. Mm. Um, you know, there some really good psychiatrists out there. A lot of my colleagues as psychiatrists were really, you know, are really good people who've dedicated yeah. their career towards helping, you know, people in psychological distress. Yeah, there's there are yeah. some psychiatrists who are not very good.
0: Yeah, and there is this um Royal College of Psychiatrists. Psychiatry and spirituality group with like hundreds of members.
1: Well, I think it's got about two and a half thousand members. Yeah, that's um,
0: really surprising and hopeful. Yes,
1: I'm, I'm not saying that that many people necessarily go to the meetings, but right. that means that you know, two and a half thousand people say so on have the t- email t- list you know, have, have, yeah. have ticked the box to say right. that they're, wow. they're interested. That's interesting, yes. Yeah. yeah, okay, Tim, thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you very much for all the interesting questions of, of helping me to integrate. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>